No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we look at Psalm 6, a prayer of David when he is in so much distress that his bed is swimming with his tears. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in the Psalms on Simply the Bible. Let's face it, some days are worse than others, and some seasons are worse than others and even drag on longer than we want them to. In fact, some seasons just seem almost hopeless. But as long as God exists, there is hope. David overcame all his troubles because he worshipped an overcoming God and he trusted in God's goodness. Now, Psalm 6 is considered the first of seven of what we call penitential psalms. That is, they involve penitence or godly sorrow on behalf of the writer. It seems that David was being disciplined by God and experiencing suffering. Jesus wrote in Revelation 3 that those whom he loves, he rebukes and disciplines. The author of Hebrews tells us no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Every loved child receives discipline from his or her parents. Parents that don't discipline their children really don't love them. We accept the fact that children need much correction. And guess what? We are all children of the Lord. How we respond to God's chastening hand is everything. So Psalm 6, the title says, To the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. This is translated eight-stringed harp, but the Hebrew word simply means eighth. So, some scholars think that it refers to an octave as though a lower octave voice was accompanying the worship leader. The truth is, we don't know what these musical expressions mean, so we can't be dogmatic about them. But given the subject, it is very possible that this song was sung in a minor key. Verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. David had experienced the mercy and favor of the Lord, but on occasion he also experienced God's anger. There was that time when he sought to move the Ark of the Covenant to be close to him in Jerusalem. He put it on a cart, which was contrary to the law, for the Levites were to carry the Ark. Now when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Ark, and God's wrath broke out against him for that irreverent act. Therefore, David knew that God's anger was fearsome and certainly something to be avoided if at all possible. And yet, David also knows that he deserves discipline. His conscience testifies against him that he is guilty. He expects to receive God's chastening, but he asks him not to rebuke him in his anger or his hot displeasure. Deal with me in your love and not your wrath. 
If we are walking in the truth, I think most of us realize that we have not received the punishment that we deserve from God for our deeds. You know, one prayer I will never pray is, God, give me what I deserve. I know what I deserve, and I don't want that. Quite the contrary, God has treated us far better than we deserve. Therefore, on the few occasions that he takes us out to the woodshed, we shouldn't resist him or claim that we are righteous when we're not. Rather, we should quickly admit our sin, acknowledge his justice, and submit to his chastening, knowing that it's coming from a hand and a heart of love. Verse 2, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? This is the right way to approach God when we are guilty. We appeal to God's tremendous mercy. And he revealed this to Moses on Mount Sinai. He said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I love this because this is how God chose to reveal himself. And if that's the way God has revealed himself, if we're wise, then we will appeal to his mercy, for it is great. David also acknowledges his own weakness. His bones are troubled and his soul is greatly troubled. Perhaps he has not responded as he should because he is so greatly troubled in body and spirit. Therefore, he reminds God that he is weak. You know, knowing that I am weak is actually comforting because I know about God's compassion and I know that he gives strength to the weak. And knowing that God knows and understands my weaknesses and still loves me, well, that gives me courage to get back up into the race after I've fallen. The problem comes when people are unwilling to acknowledge their weakness and pretend to be strong when they're not. Often they are blind to their own faults, but they're visible to others, and they're certainly visible to God. But according to Isaiah 40, God gives strength to the weak. In fact, we could say that the one qualification for receiving God's strength is to acknowledge our weakness. It's not that God helps those who help themselves. You won't find that one in the Bible. But God helps those who cannot help themselves and who look to him for his help. David ends verse 3 by saying, But you, O Lord, how long? In David's mind, the trial is lasting a long time. He longs for this time of chastening to be over. I think we can relate to this. Just when we thought the COVID curve was leveling and life was getting back to normal, we've had a reversal and the number of cases are on the increase again. And we may be saying, how long, O Lord? It is my personal conviction that we are undergoing God's chastening. As I look around at the state of our nation, the violence, the immorality, abortion, homosexuality, hatred, and defamatory speech, the words of Billy Graham are becoming increasingly relevant to me. If God doesn't judge America, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology.
But if you ask me, do you want this? I would say no. I would much prefer that people humble themselves and admit their sin. I would rather see people repent and seek God's mercy and forgiveness. But is that what we are seeing? How long will God's chastening hand continue? I think until we have learned the lesson God wants us to learn. Instead of asking, when will all this be over? Maybe we should be asking, Lord, what do you want us to learn from this? What would you have us do? Verse 4. Return, O Lord, deliver me, O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? David appeals to God that if this discipline ends in death, he can't write any more songs of praise. David couldn't give God thanks if he were in the grave. Therefore, he pleads with God to deliver him for the sake of God's own mercy. Now, is there really no remembrance of God in death? Not according to Jesus. In the story of Lazarus and the rich man, Jesus tells us that there is consciousness in Hades, that is, the realm of the dead, even in the place of torment where the rich man was. He was quite aware of what was going on and cried out to Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool his tongue from the fire. In David's agony of spirit, he was speaking of things of which he had no knowledge. You know what? I'll take Jesus' word about what happens after this life over David's. I am weary with my groaning all night. I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Now, David is exercising some poetic license here. We call this hyperbole. Uh, that is just going to an extreme here. Now, his, his uh, bed was not literally swimming across the bedroom because of his tears. Uh, but it is very picturesque speech showing how much David was grieving and mourning and weeping over what was going on in his life. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Now, this is what I love about the Psalms of David. You know, David so often began in a melancholy state and just bummed out, depressed, not knowing where he was going to turn. And yet, as he prays, as he wrestles with the Lord in prayer, as he reminds himself of God's promises, it's like he lifts himself up out of the pit and begins to believe in God and hope in God. And, you know, I came up with an acronym here recently for hope. It is holding on to promises expectantly. When you know God's character, when you know his promises, that gives you the firm foundation for hope that God is going to pull you through. And, and somehow it in the midst of this psalm, it's like 
he has an epiphany, you know, he knows immediately there's a breakthrough. God has heard his supplication and he knows God's going to receive his prayer. He knows God is going to deliver him and that his enemies will ultimately be put to shame and greatly troubled, humbled because they have turned away from God and turned away from his commandments and they will ultimately reap what they have sown. And so, and so that's where David ends his psalm. We could say he ends it on a high note, starts it in a minor key, perhaps ends it in the major key. And once again, his faith and his hope and his joy is restored in the Lord. And he's entrusting to God the fate of his enemies, knowing that it is ultimately God's place to repay. Let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much, Lord, that even in your chastening, Lord, even when you bring discipline to us, God, you give us far less than really what our deeds deserve, Lord. And we do pray for our country right now as we are going through a time of trial. And we might be tempted to say, oh, Lord, how long? But, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would accomplish what you desire to accomplish in our nation, in our world, in our hearts. And, Father, that we would look up and say, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me pray? How would you have me respond to your chastening hand? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Tomorrow, we'll study Psalm 7, where David prays for God's justice against his persecutors and praises him for his deliverance. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the Psalms on Simply the Bible.